Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today's guest is a fun guest. It's someone that I pick on as a little brother. I always say it's a little brother I never wanted, but (laughs) (laughs) a really good friend of mine, uh, Jason Ribeiro, who is the CEO of the Corporate Board of Governors for NARA. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, Michael, how are you doing? Thank you for this opportunity here. Oh, my God. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Well, you know, I think that uh, the show's been on almost a year now. And so I know you were getting angry that you hadn't been a guest yet. So I figured <laughs> I'd sort of like, you know, rectify that. <laughs> I was. I was starting to feel bad. Um, <laughs> so, Jason, for every uh, uh, all the listeners that are on here Do you mind sharing a little bit about your history and your career in real estate? No, happy to do that. Um, So I'm not a real estate practitioner. I'm actually just right now uh, finishing up my course to um, be licensed and just to have that as something I can use and and reference, but uh, definitely not as a practitioner. But my, my career really started in multicultural marketing, specifically media. So I was in Spanish language radio, Spanish language print, and I ran a few radio stations, um, managed some account executives and expanded a radio station um, across uh, about four or five different markets in the Midwest. So that's where I started. And from there, I went over to corporate America, started some multicultural marketing departments at Sherwin-Williams, Big Lots Stores. And then um, actually, when I was at Sherwin-Williams, I heard about this organization called NAREP. They had this great Hispanic homeownership report, and I was using that uh, to do some reporting on the growth of the Hispanic uh, buyer. And that's how I came across really the real estate profession and and the real estate practitioner. I, I created this new homeowner welcome package that I would give with realtors that were members of NAREP and it, the, the program w- went very well. And uh, from there I became a sponsor and uh, eventually Gary Acosta asked me to help them uh, really expand their marketing department, asked me to be the chief marketing officer of NAREP. And that's really how that, that all got started. You know, I want to touch on NAREP just a little bit, but I wanted to find out from you, <clears throat> excuse me, how you actually found your niche in that multicultural space? Because I think it's really interesting when you start talking about that, either in marketing or in different sectors that you were in, when you start looking at the multicultural space, that's a really interesting niche. How'd you get started there? No, you're right. It wasn't intentional. I've always admired people that had like a clear path or direction in terms of their career and even, you know, what they studied in school. I studied international politics. I thought I was going to go to the State Department, and you know that was kind of my goal. Um, but interesting enough, I mean, I, I found an opportunity uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was living in Houston at the time, and so um, you know, I moved to Ohio. And, and think about it; it's not it wasn't a very diverse uh, location, but it had some very prominent um, companies, uh, specifically Procter & Gamble. You had Macy's that was headquartered here. Um, You have um, companies that was at the time also Chiquita Banana and so forth. And so it was very international. And actually Procter & Gamble was one really, I think one of the the first to really 
uh, target and, and develop a full multicultural marketing kind of niche. And through that, uh, through my contacts at Procter & Gamble, that's really where I started working on some projects, consulting with them. And I became kind of like this person that people would turn to and uh, they would think that I had all the answers in terms of Hispanic, you know, and I was just kind of learning along the way. Um, and that's how it evolved. And from there, that's where companies started asking me uh, for opportunities to consult or whether, uh, you know, to come in in-house and work for them. So what I get from this is that you could have been a spy. <laughs> I would have loved that. Yes. Yeah. That's what I got from that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that's amazing. So you were basically the only Latino in Ohio and that's how you got into this. You know, I, I would that's say pretty much what happened. That, yeah, it was, you know, it was a small group of Latinos uh, in the space. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people weren't really looking to, to move. I mean, when I moved to Cleveland, as a matter of fact, um, for a lot of people, and for them to attract people, I think that was difficult for um, to do that. But I, you know, I moved there, and that was an opportunity. And I think that's where it kind of evolved, kind of from nationally from there. I had some great projects that I worked. One of the ones that I'm most proud of, I licensed uh, El Chavo del Ocho. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's actually the what most is that? popular sitcom in Latin America. Uh, actually, one of the most popular sitcoms in the world in terms of how long it was on the air from Mexico and. Um, it was a property that uh, a sitcom that was very well known, especially in U.S. Hispanic markets, still plays right now on Univision. I licensed it from Televisa, which was a, a large sure. media company in Mexico. And uh, we ran some holiday spots uh, at Big Lots and it became number two in terms of retail right after Walmart when we were like six the year before in terms of our share in the Hispanic market. So that, that really uh, kind of elevated me in terms of um, that expertise. And um, I got recognized by Univision as one of their um, fellows, um, one of six individuals. So that was, that wow. was time for me. Yeah. That's, an, that's, that's a great accomplishment. I never knew that about you. <laughs> Look at all that. Yeah, Always you know. learning about my guests <laughs> and my friends. This is good. So let's talk about NAREP. You, you were the chief marketing officer at NAREP. You're the chair of the corporate board of governors of um, an organization, then a board that I sit on. So tell me about NAREP, which is the, the National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals. But tell me about their vision and, and actually what attracted you to their mission. You mentioned it a little bit. You alluded to it. But let's dive in a little bit on NAREP. Sure. So National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals started about 20 years ago, um, you know, by Gary Costa and Ernie Reyes, his, his partner at the time. And what really attracted to me to them, I, I've attended a lot of events. I, I've sponsored at the, that time a lot of different national organizations um, like LULAC, which is uh, the oldest Hispanic civil rights organization, UNIDOS, which used to be National Council of La Raza at the time. And I attended a NARP event and I was very impressed um, because, you know, many times when you go to these other organizations, um, there are a lot of different messaging and talk points that they have. And so it can seem like it's a little bit overwhelming. So whether it's civil rights or home ownership or um, any kind of socioeconomic type of topic, NARP was very laser focused and it was that specifically on the Hispanic uh, real estate professional and driving home ownership with the Hispanic market. Um, 
and that's not easy sometimes is to, to stay laser focused on one mission and everything that they did around that was very well organized. And I felt that they had a very strong momentum in, in all their national events and also local events. And that was uh, really what attracted me to them initially in their vision. So that's how um, I, I became a sponsor and got involved. And I felt that they executed well in, my, in the partnerships that I had with them. Yeah, you know, it, it's actually an incredible organization. I've been involved probably about five or six years now, as you know, and it's uh, it's interesting how it's evolved, right? And how the vision has evolved. And now with Latitude, um, it's something that's that's pretty amazing, which is sort of a, a the vision of an, a Latino South by Southwest. Tell me a little bit about Latitude. Yeah, Latitude, I think, was really kind of that, that coming out party for the, the Hispanic market in a, in a broader sense. Gary likes to phrase it this way, and I can um, concur in terms of his statement of this because I was doing the same thing when I was in media in these non-traditional markets is that f- for a great part of the organization's history, you know, we were educating the marketplace in terms of, hey, the Hispanic market is growing. You should get ready for this new wave of buyers and consumers. But now, you know, the, the community has arrived. It is a, a full force and it's, it's no longer something that we're anticipating. It is here right now. And so Latitude is really capturing that, um, that stage by saying we are the new mainstream economy. So Gary thought, you know, we, we, we've done great in the space here in the real estate industry. Let's expand that to other sectors of the economy where we feel that Hispanics are making contributions. Either that's entertainment, of course, music, um, even the, you know, the hospitality industry. Um, those are some huge sectors, of course, and, and then entrepreneurship. So when you go to Latitude, you can t- kind of think of it as a South by Southwest where there are different tracks for different types of individuals and their different interests. And uh, it's really a, a jam-packed schedule with um, some of the top CEOs. I mean, you name it, Nike. We had the CEO of Uber, United, um, uh, you know, a lot of the major lenders out there in the space and, and marketers, American Express, et cetera, you name it. And of course, then you also have the entertainment side. Last year, they had J-Lo and, and A-Rod. And uh, this year now they have the uh, Emilio uh, Stefan as uh, their their partner. The names that they've actually brought in has been incredible. And so, you know, it, it's it's like what you're saying. One day it's business, one day it's uh, it's politics. And, you know, the politics day is, is amazing. The number of people that they're able to bring in is extraordinary. I mean, you know, they had um, they had Biden on in uh, the last virtual conference that happened just now. So the power and the reach of the Latino community and what that means and what you're saying, it's the idea that it's now mainstream and that's now a very powerful segment in all of these different sectors. So I think that it was a natural progression for what they did. And they've been so successful in just a couple of years. It's really extraordinary to see how much this has been built. No, completely agree. Um, I'm glad to be a part of it. I, I, you know, we're um, also partners in it and sponsors. So it's uh, something I'm very proud of. So, you know, I want to shift a little bit. Um, you and I work together, not just on NARA, but also at Realogy, my, my former uh, company. 
And, um, you know, I've always, you and I worked a lot on a lot of different projects. And it was interesting to me how clever you always were because you thought outside the box when you're thinking about talent attraction and things of that nature. And, you know, it, it, it's sort of like, I think of you like the little mad scientist that it's sort of like, here's the project. <laughs> this is what we need to do. How do we get there? And you come up with like these things like, how did he even sort of think about that? So where does that critical thinking come from? That's a good question. Uh, you know, thank you, you. Thank you for sending this <laughs> over to me because uh, you know I, I thought about it actually last night, and you know this was definitely an evolution for me. It was not the case earlier in my career. I think you know I boiled it down to two things, and one, the first one is curiosity, and the second one is really just going beyond my job description. You know, so on the point of curiosity, I owe a lot of it to the nature of working within that multicultural role because. It, it meant that I had to be a subject matter expert and be able to transition in different departments. So not just in a functional role, say I'm a person that does email marketing all day, um, but I had to learn what the email marketer did, what the digital marketer did, uh, what the HR practitioner was doing in each department and understand that and, you know, and try to find where I could add value. So like a consultant, I would interview people from every department um, and that's really over time, I realized the most powerful insights came not from the top, but really from those that were closest to the customer. That for me was a critical finding and where I got my best ideas, to be honest with you, was spending time on the ground in the field and talking to people. So that, that curiosity is always something that I try to develop. And I think that sometimes, you know, as you progress in your career, you get to a higher level, you kind of lose that connection to those frontline workers. And I think it's important. I think any CEO that I've studied out there that makes sure within their first 90 days that they are out there meeting the people that are actually making it happen on the ground. That's so very important. The second part about going beyond your job description means that, you know, I'm more than what you pay me to do. So, Hopefully, I think people realize that when I buy into your company, when I'm involved in your company, I, I buy into the vision. I want to see how I can help you solve a problem beyond my scope um, in order to, you know, to add value beyond what I'm rated on. So I think that's helped me become a little bit more creative and, and, and think outside of the box is, is just not be stuck to what you've asked me to do, but, but think beyond that. I like that. And I think that that idea of curiosity, I think is a really interesting statement. It's always the fact of trying to find a different way to do things. You know, it's, it's um, now in, in, in the role that I have now as, as, as president of EXP Global, it's the idea that, you know, we've, we're about to open five countries this year and I haven't been on a plane in six months to yeah. visit any of these countries. And so it's the idea of curiosity and thinking outside of the box is something that I sort of very much resonates with me. And I like that a lot. Thank you for that answer. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this, you know, every agent obviously wants to brand themselves, right? And mm -hmm. so you've worked with a lot of agents and, you know, they think there's 300,000 agents at Realogy and, you know, there's uh, across all the brands. Mm -hmm. And so what are the three things you would recommend to an agent to brand themselves? Yeah, that's uh, another good question. And you're right. I mean, I've learned from a lot of agents being out there, seeing what they're doing. And 
the great thing about this industry is that despite the the competitiveness that we see out in the marketplace, um, just how it's it's spread apart over a lot of different types of um, niches, that there's a, a place for everybody. Um, but what I find that's interesting for me, I think the mindset for this first, before I go into kind of those three areas, I think really you have to have a mindset. And the, the greatest phrase that I always keep with me from the, again, from my multicultural days are, you're not marketing unless you're targeting. And I know that's a very simple concept, but few companies, I think, and individuals actually accomplish that. I think that the agents that are successful in our industry and also the companies are those that are not lazy when it comes to targeting, when it comes to understanding the powerful insights within their fingertips. What I mean by that is, you know, I use lazy because um, that same message, sometimes people get in, in the, the habit of just giving the same message to everybody, using the same marketing material, using the same email template, whatever that approach may be, uh, without really understanding the database of their customers. So, you know, only that top, that top 1% know that just because you have a database of million of people doesn't mean that you should email or text them the same way to all million of those individuals, if that makes sense. Of course. So, you know, those top 1% know how to segment. They know how to identify unique triggers with their audience to speak directly to them. For example, you know, in politics, marketing teams are able to formulate customer profiles based on demographics, income, ethnic, racial makeups, whatever that is, that predictive behavior. And the industry has those tools right now as an agent to make, you know, so you need to make the time to study your database and develop strategies. So for me, it's, it is about targeting, about making sure that you are, again, that curiosity within what you have, that you have such tremendous data. I mean, that's, that is the, the most complex, I think, issue all of our industries have with the evolution. of We have so much data now, so, so many data points to look at that it becomes overwhelming and, 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 and we don't really realize that we have great insights to really target specifically. So I see this attention to detail and effective marketing organizations in the top 1% of agents. They are fascinated in finding unique points for relationship, right? Um, they're successful going forward with the same reason it's successful in the past, connecting on a personal level, knowing their customers beyond transaction. And so regardless of the dig digital age, you can't lose that personal touch. That's, that's the second part. So targeting, having that personal uh, touch and being authentic. I think you, you've done a great job. I mean, that's what I admire you with, with these, these podcasts. You've taken it really to the next level. Well, thank you for that. And, you know, and, and, and I think these three points are brilliant. It's really the idea of finding that those unique points and you bring up a good point. I mean, because a lot of agents have a huge database, right? And so it's not as though you're going to bombard somebody with the, uh, with the open house that you're doing or your new listing, because that's the fastest way to get somebody off of your database uh, or have them block you because you're going to spam somebody. <clears throat> and so I think one of the key things that you said there is that you're not marketing unless you're targeting. I love that statement. And there is a lot of it. It comes back to building a plan, building your business plan as an agent, which I think is always important and something that I always sort of say on this podcast and when I mentor other folks. And it's the idea that you need to have a plan. You need to know when you, what you're shooting for and when you arrive and then what you, your new goals are after that. 
Can you repeat the question? I haven't asked one yet. Oh, sorry. <laughs> What's the greatest lesson you've ever learned in your career? The greatest lesson I think that uh, I've learned in my career really has been to uh, is been the 24 hour rule. I think that's something that <laughs> I applied. I le learned that earlier on in my career. I, I'll give you the example here is my my greatest mentor and, and boss. Um, he really coached me through this, but he had empowered me, I think, to, to make decisions. And, um, you know, I, I got this email that I felt was just not um, uh, I think well thought out from somebody within our organization and I was in the right, you know, I was, I felt like what I had was correct. And um, I shot off this email. It was a little bit aggressive and he taught and he sat me down the next day and he said, look, you, everything you said was correct, right? Everything you said was right. But just the way that it came off became a little bit aggressive. And, and he said, you should give, you know, you should use a 24 hour rule, which is, you know, let, let it sit. I think within anything in your life, whether it's personal or even professional, if it's something that triggers some sort of emotion or you feel that, you know, be in the right headspace to respond. And, and I learned that one, that 24 hour rule is so important. And then I realized that even just because I am right, doesn't mean that I need to, you know, really tout it or that I need to um, say to the other person, you're wrong and I'm right. And there you go. Um, and, and so I learned that, that over, uh, the, you know, after 24 hours, I didn't feel the same way. I, I felt that I could let some things slide and maybe not be as, as aggressive in, in that point of view. So for me, that was very important learning point in my career. I think that's a great life lesson. And I think that that's a really insightful thing as well. And so, you know, I'm not the only one with a podcast. You have a <laughs> podcast as well. So well, I learned from the best. <laughs> So tell me about your podcast. It's called yeah. the Multicultural Real Estate Pros. Tell me about that. How did that come about? What was your vision? And how's that going? Thank you. Well, no, a, a big part of that, honestly, I owe that to you. I saw what you had put out earlier in the year. And um, I realized, you know, there are some things that you've encouraged me to you know, really find my voice and, and, you know, talk about my expertise in a way that adds value to, to people. And I looked in the marketplace and realized that within the multicultural space, and especially in real estate, there aren't really that many um, media individuals or even in, in the industry publications really talking about this. You know, interesting enough, over this past year, it's become more of, of a, a highlight point because of issues around racial injustice and, and just the, yeah. right, the, the diversity overall within the industry is an issue. So I felt that this was an important piece of that. And so... I, I, I try to make intentional about highlighting successful, diverse individuals with our industry. Because even when I looked at the masterminds that were going on at the national level, it wasn't very representative of different racial, ethnic, you know, even gender representation overall. So I wanted to be intentional about that one, first of all, and then adding to some insights that maybe people aren't familiar with. So just recently I did one on Muslim buyers. And I, you know, I looked all over the web. I really didn't see much in terms of um, the content that was out there. And so I'm trying to find unique things that I think would be useful to the real estate practitioner, especially if they want to find their niche. And, and it's never been just about diversity because I think it is important. It's, you, there's a lot of good that can be done in the industry, but it's also good for business, just like anything else. That's when I go back to the point and as I was making the 
illustration in the case for every company to be involved in multicultural was that there's a business opportunity. This is the future of real estate. Uh, and just like any other investment, you need to look and, and, and try to target that consumer. You know, it goes back to what you were talking about. It's it's all targeted marketing. And I think it's really very clever what you're doing because it is, again, a niche in the marketplace. You know, when you started thinking about you found your niche in your career with this multicultural focus, and now in the industry, you're really sharing that knowledge base, which people, you know, maybe didn't even realize. I mean, that topic is incredibly interesting. Just the one example that you said, what, where are Muslim buyers looking at, you know, I think that's such an interesting look at what we're looking at from our industry with another lens. So congratulations on the show. We think it's done really, really well. And I encourage all of my listeners to go and uh, discover that it's once again called the Multicultural Real Estate Pros um, with Jason Riviero. So that's a really great one. Um, Question for you. Yes. You know, we're all living in this, uh, this, this world of COVID, right? It's a global pandemic, obviously, that's affected real estate in a lot of different ways around the world. What's your vision? How do you sort of see this from your lens, from, from the lens of, of, of marketing and uh, multicultural? How do you see the industry post-COVID? So this is, I guess, one of those place at times where we have these esoteric kind of conversations, right? <laughs> because absolutely, I, you know, and this is, this is good because I, I see it. I'm, I can just only be an observer of what's happening right now. And people are taking market share. People are being uh, really either you're standing back and waiting for things to calm down or you're moving forward more than ever. And I think that's really where it's setting people apart. I think the COVID is really forcing us to evolve a lot quicker. It's forcing us to shift and people that were comfortable are not going to, to make it. I think that's what's so important about this kind of post COVID world. And where we thought even on the cultural lens where people thought, well, you know, no one's ever, I mean, I heard Barbara Corcoran even say, she was like, Oh, you know, no one's ever going to buy a house through a virtual showing. Well, we've proven it time and time again, that that's happening in our industry. So all these mindsets, even people that have said, oh, no, I, I don't like for my workforce to work remotely, and it's happening now. They're changing their tune. So I see that um, everything that we've known in the past, you can just throw that out, right? Uh, every, everything that we're predicting, throw that out and start afresh and, and, and begin to, to uh, adapt to this state. You were traveling you know, more than anybody else I knew, right? right. And look at you. You're you're still getting work done and doing more that you ever thought you could um, from your home. hundred percent. Yeah. So, it's, it's all about yeah. adaptability, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, adaptability is so very important um, and, and companies have to, to, to evolve to that as well. I mean, so that, that for me is, is important. I used to be remote. I mean, I've always been remote and even for this, this is, this is new experience for myself. I think where we will come back to, I think, some sort of sense of normalcy will be that unlike other factors where if you're a remote worker, you did have the opportunity to socialize. I don't think that that's ever going to change. I think that that personal interaction will remain. It's not a question of are we going fully towards a digital world? I don't think that is fully sustainable. I think we need that interaction. 
we will need to have those gatherings when we come back together. But because we ha- we're in an environment where there is a, a disease very um, that's affecting us, we don't have the other ability to kind of go out or hang out with friends or socialize or go into the workplace if we have to. Um, but in terms of working and being effective, it can be done. Um, but in this industry, I think it still requires back to my other point, that personal relationship and opportunity going forward. So, yeah, I think you're right about that. And it's, it's always that, you know, shift that we're seeing of people going into uh, other uh, areas where they want to have more space and things like that, right? But you're right, because then at, at one point, that social interaction will be coming back into society. But we're still doing that because even with the virtual showings, there are now um, other, you know, limited physical showings that are happening with safety regulations, obviously, and things like that. So I think that there is the key thing that you said there is really that agility and adaptability of somebody in the industry, because that's really where someone's going to survive. You know, people that just hit pause during this pandemic are the people that won't be in the industry because when this came back or this comes back and the demand comes back, they would have been gone for six or eight months, which is a lifetime in our industry. Right. For sure. So final question for you, Jason, where do you see yourself in five years? (laughs) Um, it's probably easier to, to say that, uh, you know, think I am a, a, someone that's very organic in the way that I flow, just because like I said before, I've never been someone that's just kind of stuck into that. I want to be adaptable. I wanted to learn new skills. I want to constantly be learning and kind of shift where I need to shift. I think that's so very important. If I had my choice in terms of what I would continue to push forward is I am very mission driven individual. And fortunately, what I do also aligns with with my professional work in terms of you know, educating the industry on the opportunity. And and going back to my earlier examples is that you know there's this term called segmentation, and 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 this is something that I worked on a lot on the consumer side and on and, you know there are few industries that really do it. Retail and consumer do it really well. They have robust research departments, and they're able to really focus in on how to best serve that customer. In real estate, I really haven't seen that sophistication when it comes to segmenting different buyers and and it's starting to get there. I think with some kind of predictive analytics that are out there in terms of knowing when that person is going to, or that that household is potentially going to buy a new house. You know, maybe they have um, a new baby that's coming to their life and they need more space. And those are kind of those kind of predictive analytics and tools that are out there. But I think that we need to, as an industry, do a better job of putting research out there first and having uh, that internal data because we, again, pushing on that data, making sure that we're targeting the customer, being more focused. So my, my job is to really educate people on the importance of demographic trends. I see the industry focuses on a lot on technology, a lot on marketing, you know, who has the latest and greatest in that, in that, sp- in that space. But few of them are really talking about these changes, you know, the reasons why we go to NAREP, the reasons why we're involved with ARI and all those, because these are growing markets and we need to pay more attention to them. It's not just for the Hispanic professional. It's not just for the Asian professional. It is for the real estate practitioner to make sure that they are on top of those trends. So I want to evolve my expertise in that. I want to continue to hone in on those skills and give more um, individuals in the, in the industry and 
uh, real estate agents more of that data and insights. Love that. Yeah. And again, it's all about that that targeting. And I think this has been terrific. Yeah. So thank you. Jason, you know, I've known you a long time. And you know why I love doing the show is because I always learn more about my friends that are on the show. And I really appreciated your time. Thank you for being on. No, thank you. Thanks for not making fun of me too badly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, let, we'll let that on like later. I'll call you later and, and sort of like tease you. It'll be, yeah. it'll be better. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for this honor. Um, you know, you have a, some of the top industry professionals on your show. And I've learned so much from all the interviews that you have. And so it's been an honor to be a part of this great list of individuals. Oh, thank you, Jason. And thank you for your perspective. It was really a very unique perspective and I enjoyed it. And I think that the listeners will as well. And, you know, it, it's something that because of the, um, I mean, I'm very blessed to have the podcast now. Uh, I think we're distributed in over 25 countries now. And so when you start talking about multicultural, it is a global conversation. Yeah. And so I really appreciated your time today. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. If I, and if I could add one last thing. Please do. You, know, you hit on this kind of global concept is that few people realize that the United States is one of the only countries that has that opportunity to look at it through a global lens. What I mean by that is there are other countries in the world that are not seeing an influx of international individuals moving to their countries, right? with the same level and critical force as you see in the United States. So in the past, it used to be that companies had to go to, let's say, these emerging economies in order to grow market share. But in reality, now we have with, with multicultural, Hispanic and Asian, you have that same kind of growth exponentially within this in your own marketplace. So it's a matter of capturing your current marketplace. And that's where the net growth is coming from. It's coming from these multicultural consumers. I love that. That's a great final thought. Thank you again, Jason. And thank, thank you. you, all of you, for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Thanks very much. Mm -hmm.